could run, I could just, if you, in fact, you want to go home, I can run this one by myself. <laughs> um, I've always thought you felt that way. That you could just yeah. do this without me. I'm yeah, like, yeah. I just drag you down, don't I? I don't, I don't, I do not have that ability to just, you know, self gab like that. Some people do. I don't think I do. I have to have a conversation. My brain doesn't, I don't talk to myself like that. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, people seem to like uh, last week's with Mr. Herod. Yeah, I, although I think uh, people are still catching up. I think I think we still got a, a lot of people that are behind on episodes. That's always the case. In fact, I mean, if again, if except maybe the day when a new one's released, if you look at any other day, I mean, half of our downloads are from not the current episode. Right. So people are just always behind, which is weird. I can't believe that many people don't subscribe. Like they're it's they're downloading it. You're assuming they don't subscribe. I subscribe to a lot of podcasts and they get downloaded, but I I don't always get to them in time. That's fine. But when you subscribe, I'm going to see your download on the day that, on the day we release because you're subscribed and your podcast is going to download it. Oh, I see. Unless you've got it set to not download. That's a possibility. I think, you know, most of these podcasters, you can set them to subscribe so the, the, the episode shows up, but it doesn't download until you actually, you know, tap on it and say, Oh, that's true. And I I do have that set up. You do? Yeah. Oh, I don't. Mine, I don't mind her download immediately. I'd run out of space on my phone. I listen to some long podcasts. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had that problem. I, I mean, I, I bet you podcasts do take up, uh, they're probably second to photos in, in space on my phone, but. Um, so yeah, that was, um, I've gotten some positive feedback on that. People was, enjoyed that conversation. It was a fun show. It was a fun episode. Yep. I like that, you know, even though it was an interview, we're able to kind of keep our format, you know, the kind of the conversational, you walk into the conversation type format, which was nice. You know what? I, it's funny. I want to I want to go back and listen to that episode again because there were so many things where I started to make a point and I was, was going to like, here's the two things or whatever. And I'd get like one out and then I would never, I would never get to finish it. Well, that's the challenge when you have three people on a show. And also the fact that I can't keep a thought in my head for more than like yeah. 30 seconds. We like, get back, I, back to why I couldn't do a show by myself. <laughs> I couldn't imagine doing, you know, one with three or four all the time. Because there were a lot of times where I wanted to say something, but I didn't want to interject. And then if I didn't get out in time, then you would jump in. And so sometimes I just, I wouldn't say anything for a while. (laughs) Yeah. It's ADD. Yeah. Well, okay. So what do you want to start with? Uh, Been working on anything interesting? You said you've been just doing a bunch of phone calls, huh? Well, no, excuse me. You Okay. A frog in your throat? I guess. I don't know where that came from. No, no. There's uh, that frog again. <laughs> okay. Cut. Let's start over. Okay. Maybe, right. I, maybe I shouldn't have started with the whiskey. Let's I should, rewind, I should rewind end the with the whiskey. Please. I should end with the whiskey, not start with the whiskey. <laughs> uh, no, I, you know, it's surprising because for a while there, I didn't have a lot going on. And so I kind of opened the floodgates and said, hey, I'm available. Right. And, and, um, a few people were like, good, because I got some stuff. Right. And unfortunately, it's a lot of pre-sale stuff. It's not like, oh, yeah, here's a project. Get get to work and yeah. get billable. So I've been really busy with phone calls, but it's not billable stuff. It's it's a lot of pre-sales. It's a lot of, you know, conversations of, you know, the fuzzy conversations you have with clients to say, hey, you know, come on, sign this SOW so we can get started, you know, type stuff. Hmm. Uh, but I have been working on a data migration, which has been a pain in the arse, I'll say. Um, and it, 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 uh, on the surface, it sounds simple. The only thing I have to import are email attachments, emails and their attachments. What could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) I mean, I've done that a million times. You create the task and you attach the 
the documents as an attachment. Yeah. Done, right? Well, no, it turns out they're used, they want to use enhanced email. Well, that thing's a turd. Tell me why it's a turd. Tell me, well, first of all, let's, let's describe what is enhanced email for people who don't use it. I have no idea what enhanced email is. <clears throat> uh, it, it's basically just a newer version. Of, well, it's, it's a dedicated feature for emails, whereas so, tasks are, you know, the email gets chunked into the description field. That was also, that was always such a terrible idea, wasn't it? It was. That's never worked well. I know. And so, yeah, so if it's what I think it is, enhanced email, you get, there's actually a new, a new object shows up in there your is. org, right? If you look at the, to the metadata or whatever, you get Yeah, it's email. called email message. Yeah, email message. And there's an associated email relation, which that's kind of part of the, the pain. Well, that gets you out of only having one what ID, though, right? Or one who ID. You can relate it one to... One who. But, it, okay. well, it, and that's the thing. It's not open-ended. You don't get to stick whatever who you want in there. <laughs> <laughs> Some people don't want to go in there, John. <laughs> Well, it, it has to correspond to a to address or or a it, it has to be a person type record, so a, a contact or a lead or whatever, and it has to correspond with with the email in in conjunction in in the perspective of is it this is the to address is it the from address is it the cc address, and if you try to associate a contact record that doesn't have an email on it, it doesn't let you create that relationship. Okay, which really sucks. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? It, it does in the perfect world scenario, but I'm migrating old legacy data and trying to get it in there. And so it's going to have some some quirks to it. So Salesforce thinks, it's it's their opinion that you cannot email anyone who is not someone in your Salesforce. <laughs> Pretty much. If they're, they're really sticking to that line. If it's not in Salesforce, <laughs> it doesn't exist, right? Well, they are. And, and you know what? And I can tell by the way this, this is structured and set up and content the same way I have the same opinions because in order to get the documents attached to this, I had to create a document. Well, I had to create a content version. Okay. And then I had to access... The, oh, I hope you're not doing a call out when you're creating that content version. You have to do that in test because that will fail. You won't be able to do a test. <laughs> Remember that bug I talked about last yeah, week? Yeah. yeah. So I'll get to content in a little bit. But the enhanced email, it, I wanted it to work just like you sent an email from Salesforce. I wanted to backfill all that data and say, okay, here's the data. Now make it look like this happened with the Salesforce tool all along. And I couldn't do that because I couldn't create a task and associate it with the email message. Now, if you do it natively, it creates an email message and a task for you, and they're related, and so they show up in the activity history. What is the task, though? The, you sent an email, yeah. I guess? Okay, I guess yeah. that kind of makes sense. And I think it's kind of like this backwards compatibility type thing with email messages, but email messages on their own, if they don't have a task associated to it, they don't show up mm -hmm. on the contact. They, you can so, relate it to a non-who object in the related to field, which is an account opportunity, so you can do that. There is a parent ID, but that parent ID is strictly for cases, which doesn't make sense at all, yeah. which tells me that they designed this for cases specifically first and then decided to open it up later to all these other objects. The, the documentation on this is horrendous. There are things that say you can, you can modify it on create, and you can't, like the account ID, the, the uh, activity ID, mm -hmm. which should be the task. It says you can create it. I submitted a create statement against that and it says, nope, you can't do that. Check your permissions. I check the permissions, and there's no way to turn that on. Mm. Now, maybe I can call Salesforce and say, hey, can you turn this field on for me so I can do some backloading? But that wasn't the situation I was in. I had to get this in. Um, so it was, it was a pain. This is one of those things that really uh, reminds you what a, what a legacy system Salesforce is. It really is a legacy but this system. is new stuff. It's legacy enterprise. Yeah, no, you know, you're trying to add new stuff, but it's, this is, I mean, 
this is one of those things where you're working with a legacy system. I mean, and, and the, whoever implemented that new, you know, advanced email, I mean, they're, they are trying to retrofit and jam in. Yeah. This kind of fits the model, but it's actually a new model in a way that kind of preserves some backwards compatibility. But, it's, it, but it, you know, it's a legacy system. So it's just, it's going to, you're going to have the two different models. Yeah. They're, you know, they're going to kind of conflict and be different and be confusing. And it's not, and there's going to be bugs around it. And even when they get most of those bugs work out, then you turn, you figure out, you know, it, it, and it has, it has feature interactions. So like, uh, there's a, there's a bugs between, oh, I get the biggest example is pretty much anything in person accounts. You, you, you combine, you look at the matrix, the feature matrix, mm-hmm. and anything that lines up against person accounts, like there's usually bugs with that feature related to person accounts. Right. Which, I mean, person accounts is a necessary thing. But man, you just got to be prepared for the bugs you're going to hit when that feature interacts with other features. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I can bullet point some other issues that I had with this. Um, there's, there's a status field on the email message, but the value for the status message is not text. But in the documentation, it doesn't tell you that. It just says the status can be draft, sent, uh, read, whichever. Uh, it's probably in the metadata. Like if I ex- exported the metadata for that, I might see that there's a the values are one, two, three, four, five, but it's not anywhere in the documentation. In fact, I had to Google it and find someone's blog who said, here's the values. So I had to go to someone else's blog to find those values. Uh, When it came to content, content was also a pain. It's always been a pain. I found something interesting though. Apparently, and I want to know what you think is a pain about content because I just recently had to do some content stuff. I'm just curious what you think is a pain about that. Well, you can't create a content document. First of no, all, you have to create a content version. You have to which will also create a version. content document. It's kind of convenient, which, I, I, I guess. Well, it's not so convenient. <laughs> not so convenient. <laughs> <laughs> because, so you create the content version, and then I have to query it back out so I can get the content ID. Right. Uh, the content document ID, right? Right. Yeah. And then I couldn't set the ownership of the content version on create. I had to out I had to export it and then grab the content ID and then update the ownership of that record against the content document yeah. to set the ownership. It's a weird model. And then in order to relate it to something, I had to create a, what's called a content document link. And yeah. that had its own issues. Well, that's like, the, set the that's right, like an email. Is it a relation or a link? What is it called? It's called link. <laughs> Email's called email relation. <laughs> Con- the document's called content document link. That's like mixing tabs and spaces into your <laughs> source code. And, and then on top of it, like you had to set the permissions for that f- relationship correctly. And I, I think I defaulted it to like infer permissions or something. But when it came to the email messages, I couldn't infer it. I had to do like visible to, and it was so I had to like, it was basically a trial and error when it came to some of these records and permissions and everything. I was like, okay, well, I just want to get this in. Let me just keep messing with this until it finally goes in because. I just I didn't know what else to do. Yeah, it's uh, data data migration by coincidence. Yeah, <laughs> now, just keep changing stuff until it goes in. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I, I feel like this is kind of a fail on the Salesforce side because they didn't abstract us from this. It, it, I, I think it's fine that so, they have it's a, no, it's a leaky abstraction. I think it's fine that they have con- the concept of content document inversion, so you can version things. But I think that should be hidden to it, f- hidden to us from us. I don't think we should have to. All, I, all we really care about is there's a document, well, and here's how you access but, it, and here's how it's stored. Well, can I can I make a case for why that's it's a valuable thing? Sure. So you have a document, right? And so it's good to be able to link to a document. 
irrespective of its version, because you may want to provide new versions of that, but it's always great. Like you might have articles, whatever, linked to that document, but you create new versions of it. Yeah. It would suck if every time you create a new version, you're actually having to create a whole new document. You got to find out everything that linked to it and then update its links and whatever. So it's kind of a useful thing to say, we have a document and it can, it, it's going to have at least one version, but it might also have multiple versions. And, and I agree with that. What, what I disagree with this is the fact that I can't just create a document. I can't just say, insert this document and Salesforce, you handle creating the version you handle doing this. You handle doing but, that. I know, understand the you, need you, for the content version you modeling. You can kind of. No, you can't. Maybe I, maybe I didn't describe this right, or I don't know. But, but you create the content version, and it will create the content document for you and pass some of the values from the version you created onto the document. Yes, but you and once you insert that content version, you're done. You can no longer interact with that record. You have to go. Yeah, it's, it's, it's export, kind of a read-only. Yeah, it's a read-only. You, read you have to jump those hoops to get in and, and start dealing with the content document. Yeah, content versions are immutable, and I kind of like that. Well, if, I, if you want to change it, it's a new version. And I agree with that. I just think the process for creating documents should be much simpler simpler oh. in an API perspective. Okay, it gets back to, um, what's the, uh, it's like CQRS, command, command Query Response Segregation. So it's like the API that you use to create things mm-hmm. may look a lot different than the API you use to read things. Like, yeah. It, yeah. You know, yeah. your basic just simple, like, for example, Salesforce's SOAP CRUD API. Um, I mean, which, well, let's think about like okay. lead conversion or or approval process. I mean, you you essentially start that process, you start that workflow or whatever the process workflow or whatever that's called, or the lead conversion you call lead convert. There's an API for that. You pass it the information in some kind of data structure that it wants, and then it goes out and creates the accounts, contacts, yeah. and everything for you. That's a great that's example. the kind of that's, abstraction yeah. that I think we should have with content document yeah. or le- with content in general. And maybe even some of these other things that have gotten really overcomplicated, and it's just muddying the experience in terms from in terms of the API, because it's just going to make it, it. There's not enough documentation around it, and it's just too cumbersome to deal with. Yeah, that this is what happens when you are obsessed on, you know, growing revenue, throwing everything against the wall, all you know, dozens of acquisitions. AI, CPQ, you know, all, just the whole thing. Yeah. All the different marketing things. Like, you know, you do, when you do this many things, <laughs> how good do you think any one thing is going to be? It's all just going to be like, well, just get it done because we got all this other crap to do. Including, yeah. by the way, Lightning, which is like the overarching thing that steals resources from the whole company constantly. Yeah, and the other, the other thing I, I found out with this is I, is I believe it also creates a feed record Automatically, I believe. Um, that makes sense. And, and if that's true, the issue that we came across when we were testing this deployment is that the client was also using enhanced notes and they were importing a bunch of stuff into the notes. Um, and between that testing and my testing of trying to import documents and all these kind of things, <clears throat> yeah. we hit the limit. And it's a 24-hour <clears throat> block limit. Oh, great. So we... We were basically done testing. We had to wait 24 hours before yeah. I could test again. I hear about stuff like that all the time when they have to wait. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's, you don't ever hear it's Salesforce's dream to be like, uh, you know, the best. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to cut them short because I, I think they do. I think there are people there, including, you know, up at the top that are, that, I mean, I think that's what Lightning was all about, I guess, was having the most consumery, up to date API or whatever, or UI. But, you know, they're not about, it's not their dream to have the best CRM, the best everything. It's their dream to have the most all-encompassing, uh, you know, sticky platform. They want a sticky platform. 
And it's also their dream. It is absolutely my dream, and I'm dedicated to being the fastest to 10 billion. But you don't you don't hear about it's their dream to to have the best developer experience or the best technology or the best tools. Obviously, they don't. You want to talk about the best tools? We could get into Workbench and and <laughs> how that. But it became painfully obvious this week, if it wasn't already, how messed up the tooling situation is in the Salesforce world. But I don't know. We can come back to that later. Cause... Is is Workbench a Salesforce tool? <laughs> well, that's. Are you, are you trolling me, or is that was that a provocative? I, I thought of, I thought like a third party built it. It is. That's part okay. of that's part of the story. I think yeah. this week. But anyway, I, I didn't. That's a teaser. I guess we can finish your 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 content thing here. But I mean, I mean, that's pretty much it. Once I mean, it was it was a lot of trial and error. It I it took what should have been. If I had done this with tasks and attachments, it would have been done in in less than a day. When it when it comes to the to the import, it took something that you know normally would would take you know a couple of days maybe to script up, test, and then deploy. And ultimately, it's not that hard. You take some information, you stick it in a task record, you create it, you upload the attachment. Yes, that takes time, but it doesn't have to be watched. I just run it and let it run. Um, but with this one, it was so much trial and error and so much anxiety over what was going to happen next that I, I just it was just painful. Um, oh yeah, the anxiety of yeah. You're, I mean, and um, my anxiety is around what bug or limit am I going to hit that there's no way for me to get around. Yeah, and I have to go back and try to explain to the client why. You know, I always feel bad because I'm like, I know it's not my... I'm not the one who picked Salesforce. They picked Salesforce. They just hired me to help them with Salesforce, right? Or whatever the system is. But it's always feel like, you know, they get... they. The, sometimes people have the attitude of like, well, I hired you because you should have known this. You should have known all the bugs and all these. I'm like, it's a big system, man. You know, like there's... <laughs> it's a way too big of a system to, to yeah. have that level of knowledge. Even people who... I don't care if you're a certified technical architect or whatever there's you know you you kind of tend to specialize in a certain area of the system or whatever there's no way to go deep on this whole thing yeah but having said all that i mean i gained i gained some value experience i i've i've now learned and cut my teeth on this whole enhanced email notes and and content and all that kind of stuff so i'm in a much better place for it so someone came to me and asked you know Let's do this again. I, I'm more prepared for it. Sounds like the Stockholm syndrome talking. <laughs> I, I'm really, I'm really happy I went through this horrible, horrible experience. <laughs> I didn't say that. Where I was up all night, my anxiety was through the roof, and I couldn't sleep. I didn't say that, but I, I, I am saying that. You know, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is I did gain some experience from this. I, there's nothing I can do about the way it's structured or the way this works or or all the issues that I experienced because it was it was all driven by how Salesforce implemented this. So I had yeah. no control over that. Um, but at least I gained some experience and I can say, okay, I know what to look out for. I know what not to do, or I know what what things I may, maybe should look out for, I guess. I think I might um, have a story of the worst email migration ever. You want to hear it? It's short. <clears throat> so the one where you had to mig- uh, parse XML? Yeah. <laughs> well, so it was a, an email migration and it was from like either ACT or Goldmine. I can't remember. And first of all, there's those databases, just the, the whole... This was from. Oh Act, my God! The they way. have the worst data structure yeah. ever. Ever. You remember this? Yeah. This is probably ten years ago. Um, which I don't know. Doesn't seem that long ago, but that's because I'm old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was one of those things where they had run, whether it was Act or whatever, they'd run it for years, like like it was easily ten years. And over those ten years, they'd upgraded Act many times, and Act changed the format of how it stored email over it. So in this database, I've got like his, you know, this history of, of all these, you know, tens of thousands of emails, probably maybe hundreds of thousands of emails with different storage formats. And, and on the worst part on top of all this was 
at some point they just they basically outsourced it to Microsoft Word and and it would store Microsoft Word's like HTML format yep. uh, in here. And of course, some people use one. This is a little company, you know, probably a dozen people. So like, it just it's whoever like when, whoever installed their Word, whenever it got installed, that's the version they had. So different versions of you know Word ninety five, ninety seven, two thousand, all these different versions. And uh, they all stored. They had a different version of that. The you know how Microsoft Word stores its quote HTML version. And by the way, all of Word's HTML versions were horrible, mm-hmm. horrible, horrible, horrible. And yeah, so I and I I think I wrote this. You know, ended up being a quite complex uh, Nokogiri script, <laughs> which is a. <laughs> It was it's a well, it was a Ruby script, but I used the Nokogiri library mm-hmm. because it's pretty badass at parsing uh, XML and HTML, anything that looks like XML, basically. Right. And so I used that, and I just had to take one format at a time. So I'd write, so you can have a parser for one of the formats, and then I would import the data, see what it looked like, and I'd oh yeah, this looks like crap still. So I'd write it, you know, find out <laughs> what it was about that version, and write a parser for it. And it just oh my god, it was a nightmare, and I'm. You know, I'm sure I lost an insane amount of money on that deal. See, this one, people are like, oh, your rate, your rate's high. Well, I mean, I have to, like, people don't understand, like, the, the amount of work that goes into researching these things, yeah. um, uh, making up the difference if, if if what I estimate or say ends up not being true, all this kind of stuff. Like, that's kind of stuff that, like, if I was employed by an employer, they just have to pay me to deal with, and I would get paid for all yeah. the hours I worked on it. Yeah, which, by the way, in my story, I lost money, too. <laughs> I did not. I went way over my estimate, and I lost money. But um, yeah. Uh, anyway, okay. Let's see. Uh, one story that I think it came out last week or the week before. This whole you know service cloud hired its fourth new leader in four years as its growth slows. You hear about that? No, no. I mean, you know, we we so that's one thing that I like to track. Right, is how these clouds do. You look at their financial statements, and you can see. Um, because if you think of their bigger clouds, they're big enough, they're they're material and size enough, as the accountants would say, that they have to be reported on in their SE by the SEC rules. They have mm-hmm. to give you numbers on their on these big kind of departments or whatever. <clears throat> and so it's always interesting to look at which ones are growing fast, which ones where the the growth is tapering off or whatever. And you know, it's weird because I didn't in my mind have the sense that Service Cloud was slowing, the growth had been slowing, but apparently it had. I mean, it's still growing, right? But it's just, the it that was Salesforce's big, you know, kind of growth monster for a while, and right. it just apparently slowed down, and and they have failed to reach their revenue goals for the past two years. Hmm. And like the whole thing, like desk.com, I guess is, um, I don't know if it's gone, totally, totally gone, or what, but they basically haven't, they haven't done an update on it in 17 months, so I think it's, you know, dead man walking at this point. It's interesting, because I, I really thought that was still going strong. But but this also, this story also uh, kind of dovetails into the whole, you know, Salesforce hiring a bunch of Microsoft people story because this new person they bought in, brought into Run Service Cloud is a guy named Bill Patterson, who apparently was at Microsoft for like 14 years. And I think he was running, I think he actually worked at, what's their cloud computing, their business uh, dynamics, I guess? Yeah. yeah, he was, I mean, he was, you know, someone at dynamics. I mean, CRM specifically, or I don't I guess know. They, that, they have some ERP they call dynamics. They do, too, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. so. I think so. But that, yeah, that ties into this other story, which was, did you? I kind of swore we talked about it. Maybe we didn't. Um, these two security 
guys who work at Salesforce that got fired as they walked off stage from their DEF CON uh, talk. You hear about this? Yeah, yeah. It, it was brought up in our Slack channel. And I think we I think we went back and forth on there a bit, but so the the story was on that for people who don't know, is that um there's a couple of guys who worked at Salesforce and there they were part of the red team, which is that's kind of the um you know, kind of a generic name you give to a team that it's their job to kind of be independent and of the of the company or of mm-hmm. whatever an organization. And in the security context, it's the guys who basically try to sit around and try to hack Salesforce all day. And they were giving a talk at DEF CON, and DEF CON is probably the biggest security conference, I would say, in the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'd been working on their this this talk they were giving, and uh, apparently, you know, had worked on it for a couple months, and, you know, their their boss and, every, you know, a lot of people at, on, at Salesforce on their security team had input onto it, and it was blessed and everything else. But for some reason... But was I, it blessed? I mean, I, I still had that question. I didn't, I didn't see anywhere that was documented that that... Was blessed. Oh, I don't think I don't think someone showed a, a contract, a signed off contract. But th- their whole team worked on it, including their managers. And and the reason is because you're if you're going to give a talk like that about how Salesforce does security stuff, you better make sure yeah that your presentation yeah. is is approved. And so it, the story was it definitely was imp- uh, it was approved. However, thirty minutes before they go on, their manager texts one of them and says, "Hey, don't give the talk." And and they say they didn't even get the t- they didn't see it they didn't get the text they were busy prepping and whatever and didn't get it so they give the talk and it's literally as they're you know walking off stage their manager's right there and says yeah you're you're both fired because you gave the talk um but what I found interesting because well, I mean you can I guess you could get into all of that and what that was all about I don't find that that interesting although it Sounds just, well, like, just not, sounds like really bad management to me, but whatever. It does, and I just don't think there's enough information about the entire scenario and the context and everything to really draw any major conclusions from it. Yeah, and I, I didn't read any of the follow-up. I, I did not dig deep into that, but I'm starting to piece together this whole Microsoft story, and I mean, there's just so many parts to it. There's this new Service Cloud CEO or VP, whatever he is. Mm-hmm. There's... Um, do you remember when Benioff tweeted about how you know he wants to hire all these Microsoft people after I guess Microsoft one of the, you know their layoff announcement from and that was a few in, months that ago. was in the sales yep. area though and then uh, I think it's yeah who knows but I, I think it's just a part of a trend of like Salesforce is just hiring Microsoft people um, but the I guess the backstory more on sec, uh, it, it, this it, in the security uh, department at Salesforce. So I was just reading some comments. I think it was on like Hacker News or something, but I copied in here. So I'll just let me just read some of these. So I want, this one person says, if you're close to the Silicon Valley tech community, you know the Salesforce data center organization and recent uh, recently security organization has been taken over by many ex-Microsoft executives who are fairly clueless when it comes to security. This has left the security organization mired in internal political turmoil and has triggered the exodus of most intelligent security professionals from the organization. Sadly, these are the types of uh, this, something that happened when you have poor leadership at high levels. I feel bad for the good security folks still left at Salesforce who have to tolerate this garbage. Luckily, there is a massive demand for good security professionals, so they should have no trouble finding other employment, hopefully with competent leadership. So that's just from one person. And it, you know, it makes me think, I'm, I'm always, I don't know, I always kind of worry about Salesforce being, um, how they've gotten so big. Because when you're small, like you're, you're not a big target and, all you know the the Russian and Ukrainian and wherever the hackers are, um, mm-hmm. China. Um, yeah, they you're small. They don't really care about you. They're not going to mess with you. Well, even then, if you're not small, I mean, I I, I was on a call with a client uh, yesterday, 
who said that they were just messing around with the Mongo database and the developer, it was, it was just a test mm -hmm. and they accidentally left it open. And <laughs> that, this, they, so this is run of the mill port scanning though. They left it open. And yeah, they left it open yeah. and they said when they came back the next day, uh, it was locked and there was some ransom note attached to it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just, that's automated scanning. That stuff happens constantly. Um, I'm talking about big coordinated, you know, uh, planned attacks. Right. And Salesforce is big enough now that I think they're, they would be a valuable target. And when news like this starts to get out and when, when they're, internal security team starts, you know, melting down from the inside, it's it's kind of a scary thing, especially if you're a company who has, again, the whole trust thing and you've, you've you know, everyone's convinced, you know, as a CIO or whatever, you know, your your sales guy convinced you to, <laughs> to let him, you know, put everything in the cloud and, you know, begrudgingly says, okay, well, I hope they have good security there. <laughs> and, you know, Salesforce, I mean, as far as I know, they have a really good record, although I... Have you, ever, have you ever read the contract and what it says that you're allowed to say? I've always wondered that. Maybe one of these other times I'll read the uh, the agreement, the Salesforce Terms of Service. Oh. A lot of times, you know, they'll say stuff like, yeah, if you know something bad happens or whatever, you're not allowed to say anything about it. You're not allowed to talk bad or you're not allowed to whatever. Mm. Um, but here's, here's something from another person. This is a different person. He said this, a thousand times this, the Microsoft rot started in the data center and security organization, but it's fast, this is an inside guy, but it's fast spreading to all of infrastructure, resulting in a culture that is dramatically different from the rest of Salesforce. If you're from Microsoft, or better yet, a crony of a high-up Microsofty in, in Salesforce, you're guaranteed to receive a plum job with a bump up of at least two or more seniority levels and preferential treatment in every aspect. He says, it's not hard to find examples of mid-level ICs, whatever that is, like level 61 to 62, being brought into Salesforce as senior directors, level 63s, and being brought in as principal architects. Uh, what about non-Microsoft people? Well, in that case, we need to carefully consider the feedback or be conservative in our approach or avoid being too generous, etc. Uh, every process from hiring to promotions to appraisals has been systematically corrupted and taken over almost exclusively by Microsoft people with inevitable results. It's like watching an aggressive strain of flesh-eating bacteria at work. It would be comical the amount of damage this is causing Salesforce if it weren't for the enormous human impact. So I think, sounds, this, I mean, I don't know. You can't. It, these are people. Are, I didn't even look who their names are. They're probably not. I think actually, this one guy said. Um, he even said he said for this message, I actually I created a throwaway Reddit or you know, not Reddit. Uh, what's it? Hacker News mm -hmm. account, so I can post this without my name being on it. But well, I I, I wonder if the, if that's just a symptom of because uh, I, I think as as a company, you know, you you want you're going to prioritize acquiring talent from your competition higher, right? If that's I mean, if you're good, gun, if, if that's you're, the right kind well, of talent, I, well, right? I mean, yeah, and yeah. Let let me <laughs> let me get this thought out because because it's going to take some explaining. Because let, let's Salesforce is, is competing with Oracle and Microsoft, and so when they hear someone that they have access to one of those employees, they're probably like, "Yes, there are competitors. Let's bring them in. They're going to give us they'll they'll either give us some inside knowledge or they'll you know they'll be able to steer us in the right direction." Um, however. Oracle isn't shedding employees as much as Microsoft has because Microsoft, as of late, has been really changing their direction. Yeah, uh, and a lot of the employees they've been shedding are from the, that old school mentality, that old school world. It's a good point. And so I think there is an influx of Microsoft employees in the marketplace because they've been displaced. And and which and which people it, are is Microsoft going to let go? Like the really good ones or the ones that were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if if you just have a blanket, and I'm not saying this is the case, but I'm just saying if you have a blanket policy that says, hey, let's get these Microsoft guys in here. 
or you know, if it's somewhat from our competitor, let's let's really give them a good look because that could be yeah. much more valuable. And, and we'll offer them two, a two level up bump, right? Yeah, according uh, above every, what everyone else would come in as, right? But it, it, but even within that, within that, it still takes responsible hiring. Yes, yes, maybe the fact that they used to be at a competitor is a is a is a check mark or a notch. They still need to consider, you know, their experience, their skill, and what they can bring. And I hope that's not the case. I hope that's not the case that they're just ignoring that and saying, oh, you used to work at Microsoft? Come on in. Well, like this person said, I mean, if 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 the flesh-rotting bacteria has caught hold and, and if there's a critical mass of it, you know, you've got enough already, you know, Microsoft is in there. Yeah. They're just going to keep hiring, you know, that's... And that's the thing. It's like, it's not just, you know, I mean, talent and skill and everything and experience, that's one aspect, but also culturally. Like, you know, Microsoft and Salesforce probably have pretty distinct cultures and well, the old Microsoft. I think the new Microsoft is probably closer to the Salesforce type culture. Maybe you know, Microsoft still is a Seattle company. Salesforce is a is a San Francisco company. Even that yeah. alone is a probably a pretty big culture difference. I don't know, but let's hope um, that this is exaggerated because obviously we don't want anything. You know, I mean, this came out like a while ago, and I haven't seen anything new on it, so I'm assuming it's just gonna it's gonna go away. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, it. I guess the proof is in the pudding, and we, you know, we there's been no major security thing that we know about, and let's hope it stays that way, you know. Um, but doesn't sound good though. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm more interested in the in the overall picture of at all at all levels in all departments how these Microsoft people are filtering into Salesforce at a really rapid rate. Yeah, because even even the the that tweet from Benioff that said, "Hey, we'll hire those guys, new Microsoft people that just got fired." Let's hire you. And the context behind why they were, why those layoffs happened, they weren't fired, they were laid off, is that they were they weren't performing, and they were also part of the division that was specifically to sell on-prem software, yeah. the server licenses, all that kind of stuff. And as <clears throat> Microsoft wants to get more into the cloud, they're kind of getting rid of some of some of those that that aren't performing and able to transition to selling cloud licenses. And so I, you know, that that context makes a difference. So why would Benioff say, hey? I know you sucked at selling cloud, but come sell cloud with me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe Salesforce has Trailhead to help, and those guys can take some trails, and they'll learn how to sell uh, cloud better. Yep. That's that's what Microsoft tra- was missing. They yeah. didn't have Trailhead. That's all they needed was Trailhead. Does Salesforce have an internal Trailhead? They probably have internal only like trails. I would think. I bet there's a trail for like you know how not to harass people and how to how to have your women <laughs> your women surge and all that. I'm sure, I'm sure there are. <laughs> uh, I, it, I, they, I know they have some kind of internal training. I used to hate it when I was a consultant. I'd go to like some really big company, and they they would pay for me to spend like two days in their um, – I had to go through these training things, like the non-harassment training, the, all the rules and regulations of the company. Yeah. And it's literally called like harassment training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. harassment training. And it was, I'm like, I'm a consultant. I don't work for you. But like, nope. Doesn't matter. Anyone yeah. working with our people and in our buildings has to go through this training. And I'm like, okay, I'm still getting paid, right? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> Just show up and do it. It's required. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Did they show like really exaggerate like videos of really exaggerated scenarios? Like some guy walking in the break room and, and saying like, uh, nice ass, Betty, or something like that. <laughs> no, it wasn't as entertaining. Uh, it was a bunch of reading and documents and quizzes and yeah. I I, I probably at that point <laughs> I was so bored. I would have welcomed some kind of like play or something or videos some cheesy video but yeah um 
I got a little deployment thing. So you, you know how I, I've explained before by why I have to, in many cases, have to track a lot of metadata from managed packages, and it's because basically because you can customize. Like if there's a if there's a, a an object from a managed package, mm-hmm. we can add custom fields to it. We can change yeah. certain things about the fields, and I've got to track that that metadata about right. these things so that I can have a good, you know, so that my source code is the you know the source of truth, right? All that stuff that I've been doing forever. The Salesforce you know finally has figured out, I guess. Um. And I ran into a little a little glitch, I guess, <laughs> a little glitch this week. And Your that's, glitch or a Salesforce glitch? Well, it's, I don't know what it is. You tell me. Okay, so list views can be packaged in mm-hmm. a managed package. So you can have a, an object in your managed package, and you can provide you know some de- some three or four list views that come with it. Yes. Okay. And so, of course, I track those. I track the object, and the object, custom object, actually contain list views, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is great. Uh, it turns out, though, that that's one of those few cases in a managed package where the users can delete managed metadata. So they can entirely delete list views that came with a managed package. I didn't know that. Right. So what happens is when I when when I then go to deploy, of course, it's going to try to essentially recreate those because mm-hmm. they're in my metadata. Those list views are still there. But when it goes to create them, it says that metadata API, API fails and says, you can't create managed, you can't create a managed list view. I'm like, I don't want to create, I'm just trying to bring it back from the dead. You know? <laughs> So that's one of those things. How do you solve this? How does how does DX or metadata API or anything? I mean, how can you possibly have any kind of continuous integration? How can you have reasonably, uh, you know, confidence and reasonable confidence in your ability to to produce a build that you know is going to deploy to production if people can delete managed list views and that causes your deployment to fail? Yeah. I, just, I need answers to all these things. All these things. I've got an Evernote with like three hundred deployment things. That I, they're going to have to fix. <laughs> we should before, cam- we should campaign to get you in front of the product manager for DX, and you can just have like two hours. But it's a, not. It's, that's room. Wade, I think, and it's not. That's not his thing. I mean, the metadata is a whole. It's a completely orthogonal problem in technology. Well, yeah, because it's also it's not owned by any single entity within Salesforce. Each 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 uh, what's component or cloud, whatever you want to call them, I think can manage their own, <laughs> own metadata within their in, their their environment right. or their purview of ownership. I don't, yep. I don't know how to say that. Yeah, and some and some groups do okay jobs and some groups do really bad jobs. It's weird how it's up to them, though. It's up to them to implement that part of the metadata API for whatever their product is. Well, it just, it just goes back to how big Salesforce is getting. And it's kind of like no one owns it. It's one of these things where... But is that good or bad? Yeah, it's like, well, it's like it's no one owns no. the internet, but everyone can contribute to the internet. I've had, I had this conversation with Wade. I'm like... Listen, this is the, you know, I think this is great. DX is great. And I see, a you know, you know that the whole SFDX, the tooling is 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 interesting and it's going to be, you know, it's a lot of, lot of potential there. But I'm having, but my biggest problems are still, it's all around metadata. I mean, if we can't fix metadata, then none of this other stuff really matters to me. And he's like, yeah, that's not me. That's not DX. That's, <laughs> and it's just like, you know, when you went back in the old days, when you bought a, a Windows PC, it's like, yeah, you know, it just keeps locking up. And of course, what does, what does the person you bought the hardware from say? It's Microsoft. Exactly. What does Microsoft say? <laughs> it's it's the hardware. Oh, man. The driver vendor's like, nope, that's the OS. And then Microsoft's like, nope, the vendor wrote that, that, uh, that driver for that. Yeah. So then they started signing, and that made it worse. Yeah, I don't know if that. I mean, I guess that fixed, uh, you know, uh, authenticity. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't think it fixed quality necessarily at all. No. 
but it just muddied the water. It's like, well, this is this is signed. You said this was a good good one for us. <laughs> this is approved. This is gold standard. So anyway, you were you were going to tell me though wh- whose problem that is, wh- whose fault that is, or what? Remember, remember that that. Well, I was asking, you know, is, was it a, your glitch or was it a glitch in Salesforce? And I gotta say, that's a that's a that's a Salesforce metadata glitch. It's just, yeah, it's like it's not even necessarily a bug. It's just the way the metadata system works. Yeah. I mean, I have to track that managed metadata. Yeah. Because we make change. There's because you can you can graft on your changes to that metadata, right? So you right. have to track it and deploy it. But if someone if users in production can just like subtract stuff out of that metadata, what happens when you go to uninstall that? Because doesn't don't, don't all the dependencies have to be there so it can uninstall it? I don't know. I don't ask me. I mean, I've seen people that could not uninstall a package because they either removed something or something that it needed, and we had to actually recreate it or re, I think like re-update the app so it could delete itself so that it could. <laughs> So they could all the dependencies could get reloaded and then try to get it out again. Have you seen these these people that they'll get orgs into a state that they can't install anything new, they can't deploy anything, and they but they can't they can't undeploy things because even when you undeploy things, your (laughs) tests have to pass and run, or you or the metadata the whole metadata thing fails. The the undeploy fails. Yeah, and I mean I've heard stories. Luckily, I haven't been in the situation, but I've heard stories. I've I've heard of. But what do we call that? Bricking their sales force? I pretty much was like, y'all should just start over. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're on the subject of managed packages, because we talked about this before. Oh, I've, I've got more managed package stuff too, so go ahead. Well, yeah, okay. All right. Well, we'll keep going with this thread. <laughs> it's the then. managed package show. So exciting. Because <laughs> I think we talked about before whether or not managed packages was a good solution for deployments, because you could oh, package yeah. it up and you can deploy it and you right. can upgrade it and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I heard a story from a client. You mean, and you mean just for like internal corporate use? Yeah. Like, is it a good yeah. tool? Yeah. And I, I'm against it. I don't. I don't like the I'm idea. Against it too. I, I think there's a lot of trade offs. Yeah. Um, but I heard a story from from a client who they contracted a partner to do some customizations for them, and this partner did it all in managed packages. And I'm not, I'm trying to not project any kind of mal- malicious intent on their part. <laughs> Meaning, I didn't think they. I didn't think they did it. Did it to kind of lock in that client, but that's the way the client felt. They felt like we didn't have access to the code. Anytime we needed to make a change or some kind of update, we had to go to them specifically and they had to they had to do this managed package. And we couldn't see what was going on in there. We couldn't see what was what was there or how it was built or what how it was working. And as you know with debug logs. They don't even get the they logs. Don't, they yeah. don't get the logs. Yeah. And so wow. and so the client was kind of kind of and you know I came in as a new consultant, and so they're they're asking me questions. I'm like, why are they asking me so many questions about how I deploy and manage packages? I'm like, we don't, I don't do manage packages. <laughs> that's when the story came out. Yeah, and um, so yeah, I guess that's another negative to to trying to use those because I think I think from from the perspective of, of the client, the one you're doing the work for, I mean, they could see it as as a almost like a lock and key, like you're. You're uh, holding their code for ransom. It's an, it's equivalent to like you uglified and uh, compressed all your front end code, but you don't have source maps. You have you know you get a, you 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 hit breakpoints or whatever. Yeah. You're looking at you know the console and it's just all garbage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but I can see some of the attractiveness of trying to use managed packages for that. I mean, because you get that update flow, you get you can push it, you can do all those kind of stuff, and it's self contained in its namespace, and that has its own 
I guess, kind of limits and it's, it's kind of separate from the system and you can easily uninstall it when you want and turn it off. Um, so there's some attractiveness there, but I just, obviously, I don't think the, there's enough pro to doing it. Yeah. Um, so my other managed package thing was, and it's just, it, I don't know. So let's say you, let's say you install um, an accounting uh, thing from the app exchange. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you, when you do that, you have to, you have to buy a certain number of, whether it's, you know, and I, it's not just, I'm not referring to financial force. It could be accounting seed or any of these other ones. It, this is really just, it's not a, it's not a comment on any particular product, just the way that the licensing works. Uh, managed package licensing. So you have to buy licenses. Let's say you have 100 users, but only 10 of them are in accounting and need to need to have accounting stuff. But again, mm-hmm. these licenses are expensive too. So you're like, you know, you don't want to buy more than what you need. So you buy 10 licenses to your to your accounting things. But it turns out also that, you know, it would be helpful if salespeople could see like just what invoices their customers have, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, they they can't see those invoices because those in, that invoice is from the managed package. It's a managed object. And unless that user has that license... They can't even see any of those objects or data. Mm-hmm. It's not just that they can't go into those modules and work in those modules. They can't even see the data. So they can't report or anything. Yeah. And I'm just like, that, this is not a good model. Yeah. And so I, at least I, we'll I, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these companies, they, they would want that. They would want people to at least have access to the raw data. Maybe they can't go in and like close the books and all that and, and reconcile bank statements, but they can at least see in their customers' invoices without having to pay for a license to the accounting software. Yeah, they, they, I bet a lot of them would want that, but you can't. The model doesn't fit that. Well, I mean, in in a lot of situations, let's say that the you county can't says, do this with Salesforce. <laughs> I guess you treat it as if there were two separate systems, and you create an integration between your accounting system and your Salesforce system. Even though, for all intents and purposes, they're they're there. You just create it. Either some kind of summary invoice or some kind of duplicated custom object. Yeah, that's what happens. I see this all the time. They, yeah. you know, the duplicated or shadow objects or whatever, whatever you want to call them. That, yeah. and that's you know, that's just God, that's such a crappy solution. But that's you know, I don't know. It's something you have to do, I guess. Well, it's 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 not as crappy as paying you know full accounting licenses for sales reps to just kind of get a report. Yeah, it, it just it makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, your shipping department they all need to see invoices and stuff, and it's just like it. I don't know. I mean, it's every you just turn everyone into an accountant, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I find I, I do not understand the Salesforce licensing anymore. It used to be really simple. You know, there's a handful of licenses, and you kind of knew, you kind of had an idea of what what one did and what the cost was. But there's so many different licenses now. I have not been able to keep up. I'm just oh, I have no yeah, clue. I don't either. I have no clue on what licenses and what permissions and how much they cost anymore. It's just it's just too big. And the, there's and there's the one that will always bite you in the ass because just the mental model of community licenses is so hard to understand. And there's it's just like what objects they have access to, and like one of them has sharing sets, the other one doesn't. One yeah. of them one of them can can participate in like the kind of the normal sharing things, the other one doesn't. And sometimes you need a mix of both models, but you can't. You got to do one or the other and it's just, I've never done a communities project where it didn't bite us in the ass at some point and like, you had to come up with some creative way or change licenses or buy both or... Yeah. Yeah. That's, I don't know. And, and I guess that's, you know, that's one of those things that's, it's part of our job to understand all that stuff. Well, it's not part of my job. I'm, I'm a developer architect. I just... Well, no, that... that I'm not in that, sales. I think, I think they could argue that as a developer architect, well, that is your and job. I was you got to know that stuff. I was going to say, you know, in, in, in consulting, the subject would come up, but may, and I would 
I would make a note of them and understand them from the perspective of what objects does that license have access to or what can I do with that license? That was my... That was why I understood those. Yeah. But now it's gotten so big, it's hard for me to keep track. Oh, it's so. not just, yeah, it's not just what objects. Yeah. And um, we should plug, I know Steve Inherit has got, um, they used to anyway, on his blog, which is what, limit exception? I think limitexception.com maybe, or .com.au, since he's in Australia. I don't know, I'm sure you can Google it. Um, but uh, he he used to maintain a blog post that was basically like a, like a, there weren't concentric circles, but like this kind of circle diagram Oh, yeah. of what licenses got you what. And I don't even know if that's even possible to maintain anymore, but uh, if anyone's interested, I would check that out. I'll try to link it up in the show notes if I can remember. But it's sad still- that the community's having to do that, but I, I, I guess there's no really benefit for Salesforce to do that, right? I mean, I think it would be because they sell more Salesforce, licenses yeah, but Salesforce the, under wants- the veil of, of, of the smoke. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's in Salesforce's best interest to to have their customers buy the right licenses. Of course, I don't know. The, the thing that I think are in Salesforce's best interests are they obviously don't agree with me. <laughs> so, and they well, never have. <laughs> <laughs> I think what I see more so of is that the Salesforce's uh, priorities are not in line with the client's priorities. I mean, Salesforce's priorities are get the fastest to 20 billion now. It, it's sad. And it's sad to me, though, that what's in the best interest of Salesforce's customers is not the same thing that's in sell, that's Salesforce's best interest, or at least that's the way it seems. It, it sometimes. seems that way. Well, it, it it seems that way because clients are are asking, and the reason I get called in a lot is because I do custom development, and and the reason I have custom work, code, John's custom code, custom code. Yeah, it's, the it's I right have, there and set up. The reason I have so much work doing custom code is because they don't want to pay the license. I get asked, right. I, "Can we build our own site yeah. instead of using communities? Can we build our own service can I, cloud? Can I?" <laughs> Can we build this uh, CPQ? Because I don't want to pay the licenses. Our needs are very simple. You know, it's those kind of things. Those 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 automation routines or those things where normally Salesforce has a product for some clients, at least at the small mid range, they just either don't want to or can't afford to. Or, like you said, they have some people that are that need that license and they're willing to pay for that license, but they have other people that want access to that data. And they don't want to pay those those extra licenses for those people because all they're going to do is is kind of peek in at it every so often. And it, yeah, and it really doesn't seem fair to have to pony up yeah. for like a bunch of licenses that they're really not using them that way. Anyway, well, let's um, we'll talk about Workbench. Yeah. <laughs> so this is that this is this tool that uh, we've talked about because I've mentioned how I don't I don't really use it. Yeah. Um, I, have other I think I, I logged in once or something and looked at it. And I just I don't know. I didn't I didn't see anything that I can't do with. Any of my own tooling or with Illuminated Cloud or even, hell, heaven forbid, you know, Dev Console. And I don't know, maybe Workbench, I mean, people apparently, I mean, people coming out of the woodwork, right? Because when this goes <laughs> down, um, people love it. Yeah. So maybe, you know, maybe it's uh, more than meets the eye. I certainly haven't, I really haven't given it a chance. Though. But anyway, they got bit by the good old SSL certificate expired. Yeah, they did. <laughs> Which is, I guess, one notch better than uh, we forgot to re- renew the domain. <laughs> Which uh, happened? Did you say that happened to a company? Uh, who was that? Um, Why did someone snipe it? No, some <laughs> wasn't. It was one of Salesforce's competitors, wasn't it? Uh, who was that? It was in the news. Let me search news real quick. Da, da, da. Um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, some some like relatively good sized company. They just let their. Oh, you know what? Was it Pega? I think it might have been Pega. I don't know. I don't want to pick on them if that's not them, but I, I think that yeah, might have been. Yeah, but Pega can. I know. They sure the hell can. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, it expired. And then, and then you know, people, I guess it kept, kept pointing out that 
you know, people kept saying, well, there's, you know, there's no SLA for this, you know, non-Salesforce, non-supported thing. Um, and and they, they really, it's as if they were contrasting that to Salesforce. But I'm like, wait a minute, don't you understand? Salesforce doesn't offer SLAs. So yeah. it's not like, it's not like that's some differentiating feature of Workbench. Like, Salesforce has no SLAs, at least the, that I've ever seen. I mean, they, they yeah. might have on certain co- big companies or contracts or something, yeah. but their general you know, agreement, there is no SLA. So it's, like, it's not like, but people are pointing out, that, oh, there's not, a, they're not a, there's not an SLA for Workbench because it's, it's non-Salesforce. Right. <laughs> I just found that interesting. But, you know, you know in general, it may, you know, and I, you know, last time I looked at uh, Workbench, I, you know, I think I probably went in there with like a, a dev org or something because I'm, does it not make people feel weird? That they're going to, well, first of all, they didn't even realize it was a, realize it was a third party site, which is very troubling. Which is weird because you even, have to install it. But even no, it's it's hosted. The guy hosts it. That's the problem. That his the domain he hosted at his SSL, SSL certificate expired. Yeah, but isn't there you like can a, host it because it's open source? Isn't there like an like an install package to like create a tab and everything in Salesforce for it? I, there may be, but I think it probably just it's probably like a web tab that links right, to the thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And I think it's open source. I think you can download it and run it. Some people actually were doing that. They or they had already their company already had their own mm. instance of it they they host. But in general, people just go to whatever this guy's website is and put in their username and password. Yeah. <laughs> this is I, I, I this is not a good practice. <laughs> don't do that. But yeah, I mean, I was surprised by because I was reading these comments. I think it was on Oh gosh, it was on the Salesforce Reddit. It was on the guy's GitHub issue blog. I mean, everyone just, you know, they thought it was run by Salesforce. They're so shocked. Um, I got some quotes here. Thank you for your contribution to support a public instance of Workbench. I had no idea that it wasn't a tool supported by Salesforce. I use Workbench almost every day. It has made my work with so much Salesforce so much easier. <laughs> okay, that person should be fired. Any update on when Workbench will be up and running? We have a dependency to use Workbench uh, to complete a milestone. Appreciate your response. That's another thing. Like, if if any, you really should understand dependencies, and this is why. Well, this really goes back to our conversation with you and Stephen and all these other people about when with Salesforce development, just dependencies. When for hell, just forget the whole npm style package and package dependencies for a second. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that again, the, again, the the no namespaces thing. That means that all, every all code I write, the classes I write, I may not be writing them for anyone else to use. Like I don't, I don't want to. I'm not introducing a contract with everyone else. This is just a, a class that my that my other class needs. I don't want anyone else to use it and take it in their own direction or complain it doesn't do something or whatever. You yeah. can't do that because there's no packages, so there's no package privacy, right? right? And but I mean, <laughs> we've seen that in the package world as well, where someone just kind of said, "I'm taking my stuff and going home." That's true. Well, that but yeah. Well, and then all the dependencies that are on it. They're screwed. So, uh, yes. And, and you meant, Stephen mentioned that too, but you guys both, that, that's a straw man because that's like the one example in the history of computing that that's pretty much ever happened. And yeah. I think they fixed that ability to remove those now or whatever. Like, you, you can't do that. And same thing with like Maven. And I mean, if you're building enterprise systems on N- NPM, you get what you deserve anyway. Um, <laughs> I build enterprise systems usually on the, on the Java stack or I would, I would do .NET. And I know with, with Maven, for example, which is where all like the Java... Uh, Binary, binary. It's the Java binary repository. Mm-hmm. Um, it's immutable. So once you put something there, it, it takes a, like an act of Congress to get it off. You'd have to go through much, much, much work to get something taken down. It had to be because oh crap, we actually deployed like our company's private and, and you know IP as a package and we didn't mean to. Like that kind of thing, you could get taken down probably mm-hmm. pretty quickly if you 
you know, fill out the right forms and talk to the mm-hmm. right people or whatever. But anyway, just people that, that, that they don't understand their dependencies. Here they are in the middle of a sprint. They're trying to complete a milestone. And they had no idea that they had a third party, that they depended on this third party tool to get their jobs done. And now they're stuck. They can't get their job done. Huh? That was a perfect Kramer spot for you to put in. Kramer spot? Oh, why? What? I don't get it. Which one was it? They have no idea. Oh, that's, oh, that's good, John. <laughs> Here we go. I got to come up with some well, sign language. I have language. no idea. Also that one, right? Yeah. Oh, let's get into the long Kramer he one. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. <laughs> he has no idea. That was a pretty epic meltdown. I think that's on uh, YouTube if anyone wants to go watch that. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's see. Sign language for clips here. There's another person. I'm not sure... But what do you mean that it's not supported? <laughs> Love that. If, <laughs> if that's the case, then could you explain the other better options? Like, this guy owes them something. They don't even understand this guy owes them nothing. <laughs> they don't even pay him a cent. Apex Data Loader is not a good option since it's not agile enough to build relational queries. What does that even mean? It, it doesn't mean anything. Okay, that, so that person's fired. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Next person. If it's not supported, why are there Salesforce certification questions about it? That person gets oh, the gold star of the day. Yeah. That's a damn good question. That is a damn good question. Why does Salesforce, why do Salesforce certifications have workbench questions? I don't know. <laughs> what if I, that, no, what if that guy takes workbench and goes home? Then what do you do with these <laughs> this test now? You got to redo your, your certification tests? Maybe. <laughs> hey, do you remember when Salesforce used to like promote uh, third-party vendors and they it was part of the default package? No. Yeah. But you mean like the, a default org? Yeah, like when you, you first start up a Salesforce instance and it had like some pre... No, oh, those weren't real companies, were they? Or were they? Yeah, didn't you have like a survey tool or, or something that was on there that was included in that list at some point? Oh, I don't know. I did have that. What was, it, what was that thing called? I don't remember. It's like some survey tool, yeah. I think. That was, and uh, it was like in the default package. Like when you started No kidding. Up, yeah, oh, I had no it idea. was in there automatically. Wow. You don't remember that? I do. I don't remember that. I didn't know <laughs> I always it was thought any, it was weird. I didn't know it was the default. No. Yeah. Um, let's see. Hopefully you can get this fixed. Workbench is far and, far and away the best tool for working with Salesforce data. The developer console is inadequate to the task. So maybe, it, I guess it's better than, some people think it's better than developer console. Salesforce needs to support this tool. Thanks to Ryan for developing this. If there's anything we can do to help the cause, please let me know. Well, here's the thing. Do you think this issue will, Salesforce will put some attention into this t- style of product? It, it might because it's become, you know, I, I don't know. It gets, it gets back to the whole like, Oh, the depressing Salesforce tools topic. A Salesforce developer cannot cannot imagine a workday without Workbench. Salesforce, please support Ryan. If Workbench is not an official Salesforce tool and has no SLA, then in my opinion, it should not be required in any Trailhead modules. Nor should be it should be under any under the Salesforce Developer Force.com domain. Yeah, fair points. Anyway, I think just the lesson of this is people understand your dependencies. Please understand anything that you put your username and password to. Look yep. at the look at the hover over the SSL. See who the certificate says the owner is. Just, I mean, these things can get hacked. DNS can get hacked. I mean, you might go to Salesforce.com one day and it shows you something that looks like Salesforce.com, but maybe the SSL thing's not quite right. So hover over that thing and see if something's wrong. Always be on the lookout for that kind of stuff. I mean, some of these attacks are sophisticated, and, and it's just, you know, security breaches are only a matter of time. But, but yeah, in general, just, you know, be, care, be, be cautious of these things. Always understand your dependencies. Who are you depending on? What would happen, you know, who's responsible for it? Should you, should you depend on it? Should you make that a part of your process that you can't get things done without it? 
I feel like you're preaching to the choir because I, 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 um, I think a lot of these people that were in your list of comments were probably like just admin people who. And here's the thing. Well, to I, be fair, these are these are people who have decided to make Salesforce their dependency. <laughs> I'm not gonna go that far. <laughs> hang on, but I, I just hang on. I, I have a I have a clip for that. I guess my question is: Is what are they getting out of Workbench that they can't do in Salesforce? And it's it's not much. It's just it's just a different way of tackling the problem. It could be, or it could be, but people are just used to it, or that however it presents things, yeah. they're they're comfortable with it. I mean, there is an aspect of it's not agile. The REST API. No, I know it is, John. It's it's agile, unlike oh. unlike the data loader, which oh. is not agile because it can't do relational queries. <laughs> well, like, I don't know what that has to do with agile, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Agile, all the things. And here's, here's the misconception: is people think that when whenever they install a package or they they install they use a tool like Workbench or something that it's got some kind of magic backdoor into the system, it's able to do all these great things. When the reality is, everyone in the freaking ecosystem is dependent on the same API, the yep. same metadata, yep. the same everything. Yep. No one has a secret backdoor into Salesforce's yep. uh, oh, database yeah, that we know of. No, not even Heroku, who's been part of them forever. They're using the freaking streaming API to replicate data back and forth. Yeah, that's what the API was. That's what that was built for. So, yeah, at least they're eating their own dog food, right? <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, no. There's no back doors. Well, I mean, since we're talking about tooling, well, like, let's, I guess we should, we at least need to pour one out for our girlfriend Maven's mate. Yeah, I mean, Maven's Mate was was a godsend to me because I was so sick of Eclipse. I was sick of how big and clunky it was and how horrible it was. And at that point, I was done with IDEs. <clears throat> I was like, I just want a text editor. And so I started using Sublime, I think, at the time. And as a text editor and then Ant Scripts to... What was before, wait, what did you use before that? I think it was... No, it was... TextMate. Uh, I used TextMate, but I was using something else. What's the... Strawberry? Oh, Text Wrangler? Yeah, strawberry. Oh, it was it was the free text wrangler. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Smalltron. Yeah. yeah, and then I moved to uh, I forgot which. I moved to a bunch of different text editors, and then when I found out that that Maven's Mate existed and it could work with Sublime, I think it was Sublime. Uh, I was like, I was all on board. Yeah, I was like, this is awesome because it did exactly what I wanted. I got my text editor, and it had some tools for me to save, compile, push, deploy, um, see the logs, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I was, I loved it. Yeah, I had um, probably a good two-year span where I was a regular Maven's Mate user with Sublime. Um, I did. Uh, I think I did try the Atom version. I was using the Atom version for a while. <clears throat> um, it was Atom? Yeah, it was Atom. And, you know, uh, so this guy, Joe Ferraro, was the mm-hmm. pretty much the guy who created it. And I, I think he ended up getting um, some people help, you know, helping maintain it or whatever, but... Just it got to the point. I think he realized that he didn't have time for it anymore, and it wasn't even though he was getting help. It, and maybe and it's not going anywhere. It's open source, right? So you know, if the community really wants to step up and yeah. keep releasing new versions of it, they certainly can. So maybe it's you know, maybe we're not pouring one out for Maven's Mate. Maybe it's just it's a transition. And well, I think if someone does take it over, pick a platform whether it's Sublime or Atom and stick with it. Because I think what happened is, is they they separated out the too ambitious. <laughs> Yeah, they wanted to support Sublime and you had to have Atom this like server running Studio Remember that? Code. That, just, yeah. And there were really, I mean, there were a lot of things about Maven's Mate. Again, I'm I'm not want to be very clear, not complaining here because right, uh, yeah. I didn't pay any money to Maven, to Joe. Um, but there were things about it that I think I that just I think were design choices I didn't like. I didn't like the server. I didn't like yeah. the fact that all my Salesforce projects, no matter who the client for was, that I have to be in the same yeah. directory. I mean, yes, I can sim link them. I, I, don't email me, please. I understand this. Um, email John. <laughs> 
But, uh, but it, you know, I did, I used it for a couple of years, I think. Yeah. Easily. And it was kind of my main way of, you know, the, the clunky process of getting my metadata in and out of Salesforce and deployed and stuff. So to yeah. that, uh, to that, I'm thankful. And for people who still use it, that's, you know, I guess it's not going anywhere theoretically, but the question is, is, you know, and I don't know how, what the, what their bug backlog looks like, or if it's, if it's, if it's already kind of out of, out of, not, not well maintained. And if it's just going to go downhill from here, or if it's, or if if it's being left in, in really good shape and there's a lot of, there's a lot of activity on it. That's, that's, that's not something that exists in the Salesforce world because the API changes and there's new objects and new features that are enabled with each feature. So it's not like you can say, well, here's my IDE and, you can keep using it for a decade. It's just, it's something that has to be maintained. It has to be constantly updated to support those new, those new yeah. endpoints. Also just makes me realize, you know, you got Maven's Mate, um, the Salesforce's Eclipse thing. <clears throat> now Salesforce's Visual Studio Code thing. Well, I wanted to get into that because... Which is weird because... He mentioned are, are it. They, are they giving up? I'm just curious in general on the Visual Studio Code thing. Are they giving up on Eclipse or do they just want to... I mean, sh- and maybe... <laughs> I haven't used that Eclipse thing in, in a long time. I but either. do they? Do they? It's still considered the IDE. Well, here's the thing: yeah. Salesforce has the Salesforce or Force.com IDE, which is the Eclipse plugin, right? And now they have this Visual Studio thing, but it's 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 specific to DX. Uh, the VS Code plugin is yeah. What do you mean specific to well, it? I mean, from what does, I underst- does it not do any metadata operations? Not from what I understand. Nah, that's BS. Is it BS? I don't know. I, I saw people in the... Is, I, was, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was on the verge of going to, to check it out because I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. I like Visual Studio Code. Uh, in fact, I'm trying to do some .NET Core stuff with it right now. Um, so I thought, okay, well, that'll make it easier. I can stick with one IDE then. Um, but then I started seeing, seeing some people on Slack saying that it's it's specific to DX and the tooling around DX, and that if you want to do Salesforce development, go to this other project to that to try to do that. I'm like, well, now I'm in the same situation. I'd rather just stick with Intel, with a uh, limited cloud. Yeah, but anyway, so like, let's let's do the 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 list here. Um, Eclipse Force.com IDE. Yeah, I guess Visual Studio Code. Yep. I, I needed some more information on that. Uh, Maven's made at least in its current state. Mm-hmm. Uh, Illuminated Cloud. Yep. Um, Welkin Studio. Welkin. Mm-hmm. Um, Workbench. Workbench. Developer Console. Yep, Developer Console. <laughs> so we're up to eight. If you're using Developer Console, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, Salesforce, no, they, I mean, Salesforce gets up with a straight face and wants you to use, wants developers to use this oh thing. My God. It's horrible. It's horrible. I've seen people use it. It's painful. It's, it's, it's ext.js at its best. <laughs> oh, it, at its, no, at its, it's, <laughs> no, it's, there's nothing best about that. <laughs> Uh, XTGS is a better platform than they're making it out to look. Uh, so well, and, Eclipse is a better platform than they're making it to look. Yeah. It's not, it, it's... So here's the weird thing. You have this really fragmented tooling space. They're all kind of trying to solve roughly the same problem. You know, you've got people, you've got tools that are basically being developed by individuals that kind of are beating the pants off of anything Salesforce can manage to produce out of their, you know, $10 billion in revenue. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous that we don't have better tooling. Oh, there's Brain Engine too. I think. I think they even have a cloud version. Yeah, and I feel like you know, I don't know. Even the tooling, like I'm used, using Illuminated Cloud today, and I'm a couple of different times I got these, and I post them in the Slack. So this might be a familiar story, but you know, these just completely brain dead error, like error messages that are are, are useless. So like, 
everything goes visual force page. I got like, you know, unknown error, line one, column one. Well, if I'm if I'm looking at a fifteen hundred page fifteen hundred line visual force page, where do I start at that point? Um, and then another one I got, I got, you know, I guess it was just a, a GAC on a, you know, trying to save an Apex class. It was, you know, some kind of compiler. I'm sure I had something wrong, but the mm-hmm. message it's giving me is just an unknown exception in, in, a, in a code. Well, I've already got three cases open with, with Salesforce support that they can't do anything with. I'm, I just don't, I don't have that. I can't give them a half of my day every day dealing with their support. Right. And that, that's, that's my anxiety when it comes to finding bugs and But for Illuminated Cloud that- and, and the, and the, the development effort by behind it, they they can't do anything about this. This is this is a problem that this is a limiting factor of any tooling that is built on for the Salesforce platform. It's like if the platform has got all these bugs or just limitations or the, or just the whole model of the way metadata works, then well, all they can do is try to make it as as all they you know. It's like <laughs> they can't they can't fix your illness, but they can give you some damn good pain pain drugs for it. <laughs> they can't fix it, but they can make it as painless as 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 possible. Well, okay, so so Microsoft has Visual Studio. What does Java have? Intel or uh, IntelliJ. So IntelliJ is owned by Java, by Sun, <laughs> by Microsoft, by Oracle. No, Oracle has NetBeans. That's what it was. NetBeans. Yeah, yeah I was trying to figure that out. Yeah, so in the Java world, it's Eclipse, NetBeans, and IntelliJ. I think are the the big ones. I'm sure there's others. I wasn't talking about in terms of because I I see some I see these tooling as this is the way the tool should be. It's like the company has an opinion on on their tooling and how that should be used. And I think Visual Studio is a great example of how how Microsoft views .NET and how it's used and how it's built. Well, Microsoft does such does such a dominatingly well good job, I guess, on their on their tooling that there's you, you don't see a lot of third party IDs for for Microsoft, or at least historically did. I know that now, especially for there's like the what's the cross platform one called. It's like I think it's built on mono, and it, it's I think it's okay or whatever. But you did have, you know, the, speaking of IntelliJ, the the what's their company called? Is it it's not called IntelliJ? Um, uh, JetBrains. They had um, like the, that whole ReSharper and all these yeah. other .NET tools that were at least at the time anyway were way better than Microsoft's own like refactoring tools and things like that. But still, you know, Microsoft's done a good enough job on their on their core IDE products that. There's not even any oxygen left in the room for someone to come and try to do a better job of it. Well, I think I think that comes from the perspective they gained because Microsoft had had and is working with multiple languages as well as IntelliJ. They've been developing this IDE and working with all these different tooling and languages and and, and all that kind of stuff. And so it gave them perspective on things, and they were able to offer all these and put in all these great new ideas. Um, and you know, like as much as we can hate on VB, it brought a lot of really nice debugging concepts into .NET. Oh, really? Yeah. Explain this. Well, the fact that you can break and step through code. That was a VB thing. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. My God, are you kidding me? D- d- C did not it, have it, that. Yes, C++ it did. did not I have absolutely that. did. No, it did not. Dude, before... I couldn't stop a code and step through okay, it real time. Well, then you were in a C developer. C has had interactive debugging since before they were even... But since they were text mode screens, John. Well, then I never figured out how to do that because I, I could never get it to do that. Ding, ding, ding. You just never forgot how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it was always VB did not intuitive VB, with VB. It was okay. just there. I could, uh, I could click so. and set a breakpoint and I could what? stop it there and I could step through it and I could see all the variables and as they were getting assigned and unassigned and, and, and scoped know, and descoped. A, you were and, a VB guy. That's why that was your tool, you know? It's a VB guy trying to do C in it. <laughs> you never used GDB? No. Mm-hmm. It was GDB. It's the 
good news. It's text mode, but interactive debugger. No. Still useful. Well, see, that was the thing. I think that that was what got me, is that with VB, it was all self-contained. Like, the IDE and everything was self-contained. With with C... No, the, the C IDEs did, had interactive debugging as well in a graphical well, mode. I, well, here, here's my perspective on, on, on that. And tell me if I'm wrong, because... Well, and again, this was You're a wrong. time when I was learning. <laughs> and, and, and accessibility was an issue for me because I was learning. <laughs> so, so VB was self-contained. Everything was kind of built in. But with C, you had all these sub applications that got installed with it. So you go to the C menu, you had all these different processes you could run. Like you could run the the tool that will man- that'll watch your process and watch your memory and watch your CPU usage and all that. Those are all separate applications that were installed with it that you could run and attach it to your process. Um, but with VB, it was all kind of just self-contained. You run it, you ran it, you could set your breakpoints and you could see all the debug and everything within your IDE. It wasn't all these separate tools and windows you had to run. And I think that's where the confusion came to me was the fact that I didn't know how to use all these yeah, tools. They right. were just all these random things that got installed when I installed Visual Studio. And I was like, I don't know what that does. Yeah. And at the time, you know, the demand for me, at least in that my small circle, was freaking do it in VB. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'll do it in VB. Yeah. Yeah. Right tool for the job. Right tool for my skill set at the time. <laughs> it would have even, even a, a qualified. C developer probably would have taken them ten times the amount of time it took you to do the things that you were doing, and I think I think that was some of the attractiveness to VB because I was doing a lot of front end UI input output database type applications, and you know VB lent itself to that. I wasn't writing a lot of back end server processes or you know things that process data and move data around that didn't have to have a, a GUI. Yeah, and <clears throat> GUI with C was tough. Yeah. Uh, so I have, I want to tell just a quick little platform events anecdote, and then maybe we get to... Your yeah, we book. have some questions and yeah. reviews and stuff we need right. to get to. Okay. So I just wanted to, um, I have not used platform events yet. I don't, are, I, what's the status of, are they, they're not GA, right? I don't think so. Yeah. So that's probably why I haven't really looked into them yet. But I discovered a, a good use case. I thought I would just share it on. So I recently did an integration between Salesforce and this system called Greenhouse, which is a uh, uh, recruiting recruiting SaaS. And they actually have a really nice API, a really nice REST API, hmm. great documentation, um, great support. It was, it was extremely pleasant to work with them. <clears throat> um, but basically, so there's, you know, I have triggers in Salesforce that fire off, you know, gets and posts and things to their API, the mm-hmm. Greenhouse's API. And then I have, in, in Greenhouse, you can... Define uh, webhooks, basically, which are kind of like their triggers. Um, that when something happens in greenhouse, it'll call, it'll just, it'll post that data to some whatever REST, whatever URL you give in kind of a RESTful right. way, right? And so I just created some REST services, you know, with Apex. And were these public or they were non authenticated, right? You just set up a site in public and managed some kind of like application token or something? Uh, they're authenticated, but they're, they're not using like Salesforce authentication. So it's passing, it, there's a couple of different levels of it. It does have, um, um, it's got, it's authenticating with like a basic auth thing. Mm. Um, and it also um, signs the entire message with a, uh, a right, secret but this key. Is, this is all your authentication, not not sales standard Salesforce authentication. It's not Salesforce, yeah. no. <clears throat> Which is a good call. I mean, if you do it right, it's a good call because it. I don't even know how you do that with any kind. Of, I guess you could. It probably had to do OAuth of some in some way. It would, yeah, yeah. 
but it's kind of a pain, especially yeah. if that other system. And when when you talk about other systems and webhooks, it doesn't lend itself to pre-authenticating. Yeah, right. Usually, there's some kind of like header token or some kind of auth token involved, and you know all that kind of stuff. Yeah, didn't want to deal with that refresh yeah. tokens and everything. So, um, but uh, so but for the events that would happen in Salesforce that w- and I have would have a trigger that would then send that to Greenhouse. Um, it's one of those things where the trigger fires. I send the message to Greenhouse and, and hope that Greenhouse is available and it works and it's successful. Mm-hmm. Because if not, then that trigger's gone. Yeah, there's no and I, <laughs> no and, I, and I didn't roll my own like backlog of messages type system, right? That you didn't, have, that, your, you didn't have an ESB? No, no, it's me. <laughs> um, but that would, I was thinking, of something, you know, that would actually would, from what I know about platform events, that might be a good use case for platform events because I could surf or I could, you know, I don't know how you can you know, turn those into events that then get managed by this event system. And so they have a lifetime and retries and, or, you know, something can keep pulling, trying to pull that message off the queue until it successfully, um, until it successfully sends it. And then it can acknowledge, hey, I just successfully sent that, you know, take right. it out, take it out of the queue or whatever. But I think that would have been a good, I think that will up my, um, you know, native Salesforce integration game. <laughs> I know also that Chuck. Did you, did you create your own queue then? In? No, I don't. I don't have any queue. It's, oh, okay. it's really naive. It's just it fires it and hopefully, hopefully it works. I mean, you can retry. You can have it retry if like because the, the, and the way this integration works, it's it's not like some super critical thing. But they'll notice if like something didn't make it, they can mm. just go in and tell it to redo it. But um, not a big deal. But uh, no, Chuck Liddell's whatever his what's his product called? Is it Velocity or something like that? Valence. Va- Valence. Valence. That's right. Yeah. Um, I think he's planning on making use of platform events for you know probably similar reasons. Because his that thing valence is all about kind of like I don't know I don't want to I don't want to describe it wrong but certainly integration is like a part of its wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's more than that. Mm. Anyway, okay, well let's get and I've got other stuff. I've got such a backlog, but I think we should get to this next segment here, which is what feedback and yeah, we'll do questions, questions. We'll do questions and reviews. Uh, so we got a couple of questions. This first one, the both of these are going to be anonymous. Because you didn't say we could use your name, so we're not going to. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I think this one's going to be fun. So the 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 question is 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 uh, given in the form of an example. My custom field underscore underscore c, or my underscore custom underscore field underscore underscore c. Yep. So okay. I guess the question that we derive from this is that you know what is your preference do you do you prefer to your api names to have spaces and those spaces represented as underscores or do you prefer the words all mashed together and i have an opinion on that yeah so i mean for years the, all these underscores that salesforce generates by default made my eyes bleed yes i just can't stand it <clears throat> it's also just aesthetically i have a problem with these languages like ruby the rubyists do this where like they don't like to use caps for things so they don't do camel okay so every so if you have an identifier that's made up of three or four words and they're separated by, that's all lowercase and separated by underscores. I'm just like, eh, I don't like that. I like that about Ruby. Um, <laughs> My JavaScript sometimes looks like that. Well, you know, Ruby's so influenced by like, so many things, you know, uh, Bash and 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 Perl, mm-hmm. and it's you know you you see the same things in some in some of those these other kind of communities. But I go back and forth where I. I I do camel case in JavaScript, and then I'm like, I don't like the way that looks, so I'll do a bunch of dashes or underscores, and I'm, it's really inconsistent right now, my style. Well, I finally gave up, because there's no way I'm going to convince every admin, consultant, whatever person in the world that creates things to yeah. take the underscores out, because Salesforce replaces faces with 
you know, yep. when you enter the name of something, the label, it's going to replace every space or non-valid character with a with an underscore. And there's just no way I'm going to stop that. So I've actually just I just let it do underscore. I yeah, you know. I, I'm in the same. I have the same opinion. When I said I had an opinion, it was that is that my preference is that the spaces get removed and it's all one word and someone actively says, this is what this API name is. Especially when it comes to like number where people do like pound sign of whatever and that gets translated to, I think like underscore of or something or it might just start with of. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it, leading it, underscores. Yeah, because it chops off <laughs> the love pound that. sign because people in the label, they put pound sign and, and that gets chopped off so you end up with like underscore of you know, let's, yeah. say, let's say total of records or something. Or, or, anything, or if they say like, you know, you were saying like number of, right. number of what, it, yeah, yeah, I see that all the time. You know what? And the thing is, is like, if you're going to have to look at the uh, unforgivably ugly underscore, underscore C or underscore, underscore E or underscore, underscore MDT on all this Salesforce stuff, it, it, if you're going to have to look at that stuff anyway, then interstitial underscores are like no big deal. Yeah. That's like, I can't, I can't worry about a fly on my arm when someone dropped an anvil on my foot. I've always hated that it was two underscores. You already know it's end of so line. Ugly. And why do, or end of word or whatever. What, it's, what, it, is gone, what has gone mental with people that they would end their Twitter name with underscore underscore C? Are people doing that? Yes. Oh. That's a big thing. Well, some people do have like Salesforce specific Twitter accounts separate from their personal, which which I recommend if if you're big on social media. Oh God, I'm not going through that that much work. No, for I'm Salesforce. just saying there's some people out there who are really all about social media, have a business no, social you're, media you're kidding, and a personal John, social you're media. Kidding. But Salesforce, yes, they do. They have two Twitter accounts. They next, have one next, thing, next thing you're going to tell me, people are going to be tweeting about Ohana all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have one Twitter account and I don't use it. Yeah. I, 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 I'm not a, I'm not that kind of social person. I used to, I used to do a lot more Twitter, but I, I don't do much. Anymore. I don't think people care about things yeah, I have I to know. say. If they do, they'll listen to this podcast. Twitter's just a big cesspool anyway, so who cares? <laughs> All right, well, we good have things Salesforce didn't buy them, then, huh? Uh, probably so. All right, all right. Next question. Uh, let's see how I phrase this because it kind of starts with a but, which is a weird way to start a question. Uh, but is anyone else worried? I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to chop that off. Is anyone so worried that Salesforce is getting too happy clappy? At what point will it turn corporates and people off? I mean, speaking of Ohana, is this the type of thing that you think this person's talking about? I think so. I mean, I, you know, there, there is a certain culture around Salesforce where there's a lot of cheerleading. And I think that's what it's referring to is the cheerleading. Yeah. I mean, Salesforce is. You know, I think we've all, if you've been around for very long, you've certainly seen this. It's very culty. Mm-hmm. It's very Kool-Aid uh, yeah. oriented. You know, it's the Ohana. It's yeah. uh, happy clappy. That's a good term for it. Is that what it was? Happy clappy? I think we've got a show title there. <laughs> happy clappy. <Yeah. laughs> uh, I, it's, it's, it's tough because uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't, to, and I don't think this is an... I don't know how to respond. Uncommon I, thing, but certainly, you know, from the top down, I mean, Benioff, he really, it's, he it's really odd. gets people to buy into this idea that there is an Ohana and it's not just their job and that when when it's no longer beneficial for their employer, they will not be in the Ohana anymore. Yeah. <laughs> or at I, least, I, I you think know, it's odd that people kept kind of It's all Ohana. It's all fun in Ohana until the layoffs come. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I, just, I, th- I think it's odd that they kind of separated mentally themselves from Salesforce as this great company, as this great, social company from the fact that Salesforce is a very 
capitalist con- uh, company, meaning it, it exists. It's not a private company. Now, if it was a private company, Ohana might mean something more, but it's not. It's a public company, which means it well, has even, investors, even private which company, means its purpose mm-hmm. at this point is to make money for those investors. Mm-hmm. You don't think so? <laughs> even private companies have uh, stockholders, owners, and and boards well, who, yeah, they they, who they, they have do. to— But, know, I mean, if it was privately single owner, right. you know— this Ohana thing might mean well, something more. It might be, you know, it'd be the direct perspective of the owner of the business. But when you're public, there's no one owner. And I know we've got people that are absolutely screaming at us right now. So let me, let me, um, <laughs> let me defend it a little bit and say the Ohana is, uh, it's not contained, bound, or controlled by Salesforce. Right. It might be supported by Salesforce yeah. and encouraged by Salesforce, might even have been started by Salesforce. But uh, and it's it, it's not and it's the same thing as just be said about any employer. So my point that I made a minute ago probably uh, could you can make an easy argument against that. Hey, you may get laid off, but you've still got this Ohana community, right? You've still got all these connections and these these people and you know networking and and support mm-hmm. and everything. You know, that's, they're largely a, a pretty a pretty nice bunch of people, right? So well, that that to that degree, there's an Ohana. I and think. and that, that, I think that's kind of the point I was wanting to lead up to is the fact that when it comes to community. As much as Salesforce or anyone says they own it, they don't. It's the community that owns it, and it's the community that's that's the value. It's the it's the people and the relationships that you have. What about the Good Day Sir Ohana, John? <laughs> we don't own that. And I, I, that, that's what made me think of that. Is actually, yeah. I feel like you know, we yeah, I mean, uh, we we may have been like the seed for it that started yeah. it, but I mean, yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, uh, it's a thing of its own, really. I mean, we're just we're, we're just we're participants, participants, yeah, exactly. just like anyone else, yeah. And and I think that's the value. I think people want if if you want to thank Salesforce for creating Salesforce and and thus you have a job, or you want to you want to thank all the help you got from the community. I, I think the community is more important than than thanking Salesforce because I don't know. Well, it, it, I'm not explaining myself very well. I know I'm not, and I know I'm sounding weird, but I think the point I'm trying to get across is that no, you, <laughs> I don't sound weird. I'm, Should I have more whiskey? Uh, no. <laughs> that might help. I'm looking at it. Yeah. Here, we'll do this. Uh, so, okay. <laughs> Just to know I'm serious about it. All right. No, I, I guess I guess I, I, I cringe when people say, oh, thank you, Benioff, or oh, thank you, Parker, or thank you, Salesforce, for creating you, this you wonderful changed, platform. You changed my life. You right? changed my life. I'm yeah. like, no, stop devaluing, devaluing yourself. You did this. You and your participation with this community did this. Your your thirst for knowledge and wanting to learn and grow and and become valuable did this. Not Salesforce. Salesforce is just trying to sell licenses. You didn't build that. The fact <laughs> that you were able to use this hammer and and build like this great house for yourself. That's you. Yeah. Stop stop giving credit to someone else. That was you. And I think that's my problem when it comes to some of this Ohana stuff is they 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 transfer the credit that should be given to themselves or to their community and they transfer it to Salesforce. And and that's my issue is like, okay, yeah, Salesforce has a good product. It, it does a lot of things and that's great. But the value you've gotten out of it was because of you and your efforts yeah. and stop projecting that on them. So you mentioned, you know, someone devaluing their So I actually think there is a both devaluation internal to the Ohana that's happening. And I think there are external pressures that are devaluing the Ohana. But that is a much bigger topic that I don't want to get into right now. I probably already said too much and I'm going to get fired. (laughs) (laughs) That's the great thing about being an independent consultant is you can't really be fired. I'm also an MVP. That's true. Your your MVP (laughs) Ohana might fire you. (laughs) 
But yeah, so just back to the happy clappy. Is it too happy clappy? I don't know. To me, I, I yeah. When I, I mean, well, I'm not gonna say yes. I mean, f- me personally, it weirds me out. But a lot of organized things weird me out. Yeah. But it, this one certainly does. Um, I don't honestly. I don't think customers care about Ohana. It's like it, they're not signing licenses because of Ohana. Uh, I think. I think the community if customers can use the Ohana to their that's advantage. What I'm I, I sure, think, they'll like it. You know, the fact that there's there's support, the fact that that people are able to learn and grow and get support for the things that they want to do, that just benefits that company because they're getting a lot of free free support from people out there in the community who are saying, "Yeah, I've done that. Here's how you do that." Yep. You're not having to pay that guy. 100 or 250 an hour for that advice. They got it free from the community. So I guess in this ecosystem, in this community, it's beneficial to companies, especially Salesforce and, and companies. Um, yeah, I, I, it's just beneficial that way. Yeah. It is. It is it's a very um, happy. Who doesn't it's like a very happy, happy community. And I think some people get really into that, and some people they they don't. They just kind of you know take they take they take and they what they can from it and participate however they can. Like and I'm kind of I that's kind of how I am. I'm you know it's there's there's parts of it I participate in and that I enjoy, but there's a lot of it that I just I I, I you know, take take it or leave it. Right? It's the shopping cart. Te- it's the shopping cart method. When you go to the grocery store, you push your cart there. You don't just everything doesn't go in the cart. You take the things that you want and you put those in your cart. Yeah. Well, I think there's different levels. I think some people go out into the community and expect people to, and and we see this with Stack Overflow and, and the way Stack Overflow was designed and built in terms of how you ask a question and what you're trying to get out of the question. Like if you just go on there and say, "I need a sorting algorithm," they'll knock that question out. They'll what? They'll close it or something? They'll the, whatever. They'll yeah. they'll they'll knock it mm-hmm. because the goal of Stack Overflow as a community isn't for someone else to go out there and do the work for you. You know, if you have a question, if you're trying to solve something, you need some advice, you know, that's what it's there for. Um, but not necessarily to sit there and do the work for you. And sure. I think there's different levels of that in the Salesforce community as well. There's there's levels of people who just, just tell me how to do this. I need you to do, I need to get this formula that does this. Just just give me the formula, please. Hurry. Uh, there's aspects Sometimes of that. Sometimes it's a pretty simple formula. It's just like, okay, here it is. You know, it's not like, it's not like someone's doing a 12-page calculus problem for you. <laughs> yeah, and I think on the other side, of it, there's, there's people who are just trying to learn, you know, or they just have a problem that they want to talk through. And I think that's where communities are, are great, is that you're able to kind of post these problems or, or say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. Am I alone? Yeah. Definitely gets played up, and Salesforce uh, certainly, certainly, you know, uses it to their advantage, but... I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. Okay. I All think right. I think it's good for Salesforce that the the community, the Ohana community, exists, and I think they can't believe we just we're calling it that now. I know. <laughs> I, I think they're. The, <laughs> I think they're supporting it in, in that they've created this brand, this Ohana brand around it. But it was very much the hard work of of the community itself that that made it exist. It wasn't like Salesforce actively went out and said, "Hey, let's make this community." It just happened. And they saw how big it got, and they're like, "Yeah, we should, we should brand this." I guess. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I also think the Salesforce and a lot of the people that work at Salesforce did a lot of work to cultivate this community. Well, I mean, I've heard the stories of, of the inception of the community. I've heard the stories of how this got built up and and how it grew. And it wasn't really a part of their business plan, but there were people in inside who were passionate about supporting this community and providing some kind of feedback mechanism and, and listening to the community. And I think it kind of. It kind of plays in well with the the idea exchange at the time, and then it grew from there. And then it, it got big enough, and it had enough 
traction, I think, that Salesforce ultimately folded it in and made it an actual division. No, so the Ohana is just a division of Salesforce now? Well, <laughs> I don't want to say that. Anyway. All right. It's, it's, a, it's an important component of Salesforce. Okay. We'll say. That's enough of the happy clappy for me. I'm starting to get a stomachache. <laughs> <sighs> that question, I, I read that question. I did not think it would get me in trouble, but I feel like it got me in I trouble. I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm in trouble. All right, so we got a review that, that we've been sitting on for an entire month. Wow. Um, a review in a month, that's it, huh? I know. What's, I don't know. Our reviews, reviews have totally dried up. Our, you know, the, the, we're not getting much in the inbox these days either. No, no, we need more in the inbox. Yeah, if it wasn't for this one person that sent us both of those, we'd be screwed. Maybe it's because we answer too many questions on Slack and we should restrict it. I know. Yeah. Save it for the show. Exactly. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh so th- this, this review is from Wizno. I don't know who Wizno is. Uh, the title of this is Exquisite and Entertaining. John and Jeremy are standing at the edge of a cliff, gazing into the unknown, when all of a sudden, they hear a ruckus in the distance that seems to be quickly approaching. They focus their attention on the disturbance, as it continues to click and clack. As it continues to approach, they notice a very familiar face. We are so excited. As the figure approaches, Jeremy turns to John and blurts out the first thing that comes to mind, resulting in a shrieking. My Fitbit. The figure whizzes by them, greeting them with only Woo! before haphazardly diving off the edge. Two look over in amazement and shout, You can't do this with Salesforce. To their cliff-jumping acquaintance. <laughs> Jokes aside, these guys cover a nice variety of topics in and around the Salesforce ecosystem. They provide criticism where it's due, while offering solutions where they see potential for improvement. The soundboard is a huge plus, too. <laughs> I live for this. Ha ha ha. <laughs> oh. Uh, Look at this this person got a special dramatic reading of their they review. Did. <laughs> <laughs> that was so fun to do. <laughs> so thank you, Wisno, uh, from the US for that uh wonderful review yeah. and that story within it. Uh and I thought it it was worthy of a dramatic reading. Yeah. Appreciate the review. Thank you. We really love reviews. And if anyone is interested in giving reviews or if they want to just, you know, do something to help, to give back just a little bit, those are always good. Those are, these, and we're talking about iTunes, right? These are iTunes things or these the podcast. Yeah. But if you don't want to write, write a review or just don't have much to say, you can still go in and not click the stars, though. Stars are good. It helps. Stars and hearts. And also, yeah, I mean, the inbox has been pretty barren. Info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. If you've, uh, you know, any topics you want us to cover or questions that you want us to ask or answer, whatever. Those or if you want us to, to re-review something. Re-review something? Yeah, maybe something we've already talked about oh, and you okay. thought we yeah. didn't cover it well That's enough. True. Tell us how we're wrong. We get people yeah. that email us that all the time. And then sometimes they end up emailing But not lately, so that means we've been right this ex- whole time. That's exactly what that means, I'm sure, right? <laughs> no news is good news. <laughs> well, so are we wrapping up, John? We are. Okay. Uh, so I've already covered some of this, but yeah, share us, you know, where where um, we're growing. Um we definitely have come back. You know, we're we're moving up the charts. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we have this uh, awesome community, uh, our own Ohana, the GDS Ohana. 
<laughs> and it, it, it manifests itself partially as a Slack team. And if you are, are interested, we'd love to have you uh, go to goodicer.com. No, sorry. Goodicerpodcast.com? Goodicerpodcast.com. Yep. Click community and uh, just give us your email and John will add you. We don't save those emails or do anything with them, so we'll never sell those or anything like that. Um, yeah. Overcast. Click the little star, a heart, whatever it is nowadays. That's good. That's all I got, man. Sounds good. All right. And to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. You racist bastard. I can't believe I'm doing a freaking podcast with an alt-right racist bastard. (laughs)